Welcome to Pools. All right. I think we're here. We're rocking. Cool. I was trying to do it on, on my uh, desktop, my laptop, and I use this new browser, and I feel like the browser is not playing nice. Yeah, and I think the, the UX is a bit weird all the time. Like, it's it's always, like, a bit misleading. But, yeah. We're on the phone now. How's it going, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm very, very good. Where are you? Are you in LA, Miami? Or which, where are you? I'm in Miami right now, but I'm actually going to Paris tonight to see your people. Ooh, nice. Wait, wait. What are you going to do there? Uh, my homegirl, Alexia, is there. We're going to try to get a flat, I think, so... I'm going to go say hello, work remote a little bit, be a digital nomad, as they call themselves. <laughs> That's good, man. That's, uh, I guess the grass is always greener. I'm like, you're, you're in the U.S., you should stay in the U.S. rather than going to Paris. But <laughs> I know. This is a combo we've had many a time. I, I, think, I think, you know, the beauty of this moment is, I guess, well, in, in a seemingly emergent post-COVID world, we can maybe do a bit of both. We should get our PCR tests and, and play it safe. It's very true. Uh, Alex, real quick, did you did you check did you record this? Maya, who's listening to us, uh, is telling us that we should record this, and I agree with that. Yes, Maya Bakai. Those who don't know Maya, it's an instant follow. I think she's got some Crocs as her default picture. <laughs> Former, very lucky to call her an investor in Bride, which became Dapper Collectives. Now a good friend, all around Giga Brain. Yeah, she, Maya is also uh, an investor in pools. Hey. So <laughs> cool man so stay, thank you for taking the time and for to, to, to spend a bit of time with us um so the goal of i mean there's no really goal like for this conversation it's really just made to be like chill conversation about you about web3 um about pools about everything you know it's just like a very chill convo with the community so it's it's good to have you here and we always try to have like inspiring and cool people and it's been a long time since I wanted to do one with you, so so I'm glad that we're <laughs> we're here now. I will I will try to inspire and be cool. To my <laughs> that, that's nice, man. So the first thing, you know, like when when I when I met you, I think it was like in in, in July. Like I, I made a, you know, I googled your name, and like it's it's absolutely crazy. Like the the different stuff that you that you've done, and 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 you know, like in seemingly different. Um, you know, industries, vibes, and, and, and all that. And your name always comes up in every conversation that I have, web three, <laughs> culture, anything. So that's, a, that's amazing. So maybe like to start, to start things, like can you maybe like walk us through your, your journey to where you are now? Like, you know, you started in music, broad, FWB, like all that. Like, can you give us like a, a quick overview yeah. of what has been like the path? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's definitely been a circuitous path, but um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa. I moved to LA when I was 16 and I was playing bands and kind of doing web design for friends, parents and stuff like that and building like eBay templates or whatever and wanted to go to school for design, but I actually ended up moving to LA for athletics. And so my mom wanted me to take a full scholarship if I could. I took a full scholarship to play football, hated it and came back to LA and was trying to figure out my life. And I was like 19 at the time. And so I was doing basically web dev to make a living, just like taking Craigslist gigs and making beats for fun and kind of stumbled into this rap group called Shwayze with a couple friends. Ended up putting out a top 10 album in, in, in 2008, which was totally nuts. Um, we were signed to like Interscope, um, Sure Talent Interscope, and, and got to kind of see like the last 
gasping breath of a dying music industry. Um, and because I could write some code and knew my way on the internet, all these executives started pulling me into the room and being like, hey, have you heard of this MySpace thing? And that kind of started this, this, this path of basically acting as this conduit between technology people and what I would call like culture industry people. And so I quit the group, started DJing, producing pop records, you know, got to play festivals and produce for pop acts that I, and other people that I really liked and got a job offer from Spotify um, in 2011, I believe, to come on and kind of do what I've been doing, kind of translate between a bunch of Swedish engineers and music people that wanted this thing to work. And there was a pretty ambitious plan, and I was a big fan of Dan, and so I'm a big fan of Dan, and, and was there for a while. And while I was there, they encouraged me to produce and continue to make music and continue to be a part of the artist community. And so I was managing and producing an artist named Banks, and um, we did a record called Goddess together that did pretty well. And while I was doing all that, you know, really started to fall in love with this idea of artists being able to shape, especially young people's outlook. And, and you know, p- bands like Rage Against the Machine for me were so important for like a kid in the Midwest for how I view the world. And I started thinking, man, we have more global issues than ever, whether it be climate or economic or now pandemic. Wouldn't it be cool if there were celebrities that could scale like software? that all the kind of scale of Facebook, but the intimacy of, of Rihanna. And, and that was kind of like the basis for this startup I, I, I created called Brud in, in 2016, which was, you know, and still is building this kind of modern Marvel or Disney with these characters that we can tell stories with. And at the core of that was this idea of decentralizing celebrity. Um, I've been like, you know, passively involved with crypto since like 2013. And, you know, and, and around the time I was reading white papers and, you know, a couple of years into the journey, my friend, like, you know, friends like Calvin Liu had kind of left their Web2 gigs to go full time at Compound. Um, you know, other folks were building out DeFi stuff like my friend Paul Fletcher Hill at, at Vail. And I kind of lucked out in that I was in, in in the thing when people had all kind of abandoned like crypto and was becoming Web3. And so I just saw a lot of overlap between what I wanted to build, decentralizing celebrity and eventually decentralizing the org. And what these, you know, ideas, Moloch, DAOs, you know, prediction markets, what they're talking about. And so more recently, we were going to raise a new round for Brud, um, kind of a crypto focused round to turn it into a DAO. And, you know, we were talking deeply with, 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 with Dapper and Roham and they acquired us and we're building all these, you know, media DAO and, and DAO primitives on flow. And we're hopefully going to enable a whole new era of, of media companies to be built as DAOs and allow creators to capture the value they're creating. And that's something I think that we're both really aligned on is trying to build a future where innovators and creators are getting compensated the way they should be. Because I don't think it's been so fair for the last 20, 30 years or so. I agree with that. And that, that's also what we're trying to, to solve with pools. But like one thing that strikes me is that every time you know, like like everything that you've done, like there's always something which is edgy, which is new, and and like it's uh, Steve Jobs who said, like you connect the dot back backwards. And is there like do you see everything that you've done, which is like you know different from music to crypto to technology? You know, like has there been a common thread as to like how you want to build stuff and how you know like a common let's say approach with different mediums? Yeah, I, I mean, I think. I try to reflect on this because I get asked this every now and then. I think it's because of that that moment when I left the Midwest, like relatively small town to Los Angeles and being confronted with like sushi or chrome hearts, like Mm. all of these like cultural, these cultural tastes that felt so foreign to me. 
But when I understood them, like really resonated. Like I remember having my first California roll and being like, this is fucking gnarly. I hate this thing. How can people <laughs> eat raw fish? And then it clicked, like this is brilliant. And you want to figure out a way to translate back to like my peers in small town America. And it was kind of hard. And I think I've always seen myself, I kind of joke as like a, a two Michelin star corn dog. Like if, if, there, are, <laughs> if there are ways to take ideas that, and, and, and I think tastes that are really important and present them in packaging that's familiar enough that the every man can entertain it and start to make sense of it. I think that's what I wanted to do. And I, you know, it was clear to me that there was going to be this spatial computing future and it could look, you know, quite dystopian or it could be quite familiar and comforting and we could kind of set a tone. And that was, you know, the goal for Brud. And I think as I was reading more and more about DeFi and starting to grok some of these opportunities, um, you know, I started this DAO called Friends with Benefits that was really designed to, to show my artist peers what it would look like if, if, if value could accrue to the edges of a network the way we once talked about doing it in, in, in Web1. And I think that, that's proven to be a pretty good primitive, and I'm excited for people to take that and expand upon it and you know, do their own things with you know, community tokens, social tokens, whatever it is. I love that. So we'll come back to FWB because I think it's a, it's a super interesting and impactful uh, you know, thing that's been going on for a few years. And I, like... It's been an inspiration for pools, it's, and I think it's an inspiration for a lot of people. But like this, this idea of like you know Michelin star corn dog, I love it. You know, like the, um, to me, it's almost like you know Marcel Duchamp. It's almost like ready made, and I think it was like it's also in the vein of like uh, Virgil used to do, which is like to take things that are you know that seem simple, that seem like almost mundane. You know, like the this Jordan pair of shoes that you know, or like um, you know. Nike Air Max that, and that you remix and that you put as a, as something that's almost elevated as a piece of art. And the, the way I see things, you know, it's what we have with, um, with, uh, crypto web three and, and in general open source, it's like almost a new version of ready-made, you know, like the, um, I don't know, how, I don't know how to say it in English, but the thing that Marcel Duchamp did like with the, you know, like of course, the, the urinal, the, yeah, yeah, the urinal, you know, it's like something simple, but like you may, you put it in a context, which makes it a piece of art which makes it a reflection on 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 you know how we approach things and and i think like what we you know at at a different maybe less artistic level like what we you know, what you see with like the the open source the composability everything that people fork and use ideas even like the bootleg co culture in in hip-hop that's to me that that's like the heritage of this kind of idea that you can take things that seems can may seem simple but like you can render them into something that that becomes like artistic and super new. So I, I really yeah. love like this, this idea of like you know two mission star corn dog. And I think that's the thing that I, I kind of you know constantly live in tension with. There we, we've been really lucky, right? I think a lot of us grew, have grown up with Tumblr or Jound or Profound or all of these like you know all of these indexes of, of culture and especially all of these aesthetic references that we can pull from. And where I get really frustrated generationally is, you know, a generation of people who use nostalgia as a design crutch. And they say, like, I could, you know, slave away trying to take a concept and improve it. Or I could present this old idea as new and put it in some money packaging and, 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 make a, and make a fair living because people don't understand what I'm borrowing from. And so I think what I've always tried to do to, to mix results is to say, like, are there ways to take, you know, to, to, to bring ideas from zero to one, but also to like, you know, heavily reference things, but improve them always. And I don't know, I think I get frustrated when people just kind of fork things and, you know, and kind of lead people down paths that 
may not be as productive as, you know, taking something, improving upon it and contributing to the conversation. So that happens in everything. We live in like Forever 21 economy for a very long time. People are borrowing aesthetic sounds, ideas and presenting them as their own. I'm just hoping to contribute a little bit such that people can take them and improve upon them. And we can actually stand on each other's shoulders instead of like stand side by side and pretend we're making any progress. I love it, man. Like it reminds me like one of the, um, I had like an epiphany, um, like maybe a year ago. I went to this uh, store on Fairfax called Apartment 305 or something like that. I don't know if you if you see what the, the one I'm talking about. So it's like mm-hmm. it's like a, a store on Fairfax, and you enter inside it. It, it looks like um, an apartment from the hood in the 90s. You know, like there's the this old TV. Uh, you have Tupac and 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 you know Notorious B.I.G. like on the on the radio, and you have like like this whole setup which is like super cool, like very hip hop from the 90s. You know and I remember I talked to the guy. He's like, oh, yeah, you're French. Oh, look, I've just made this T-shirt. So he shows me this T-shirt. And it was written like Les Fleurs du Mal. So Les Fleurs mm-hmm. du Mal is this, this name of like this this book from uh, Charles Baudelaire, like a French poet. And I knew of Charles Baudelaire obviously being French and also learning of it like in French literature, literature classes when I was, I don't know, like 15 or 16 years old. And so he tells me like the, the thought process behind that. So he, he heard of Les Fleurs du Mal from Tyler, the creator. You know, like uh, from Golf of Fleur, very Fleur du Mal, mm-hmm. and 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 he shows me the back of like the T-shirt, and there's like roses and 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 flowers, and he tells me this is Toulouse Lautrec, and Toulouse Lautrec, same thing, super, of famous, course, yeah, old school, famous impressionist, you know, uh, painter. <laughs> that me, my experience with Toulouse Lautrec, and I, like when I was a kid, like my parents used to take me to the museum. And I was bored as hell. <laughs> and you had these big, you know, paintings of, of Toulouse-Lautrec. And the guy tells me, yeah, I was researching this era on like internet. And I, I found this guy and I thought it was cool. And so I made this t-shirt. And so you see like the result of like, you know, cultural mixing and, and, and made, like the internet culture, like right here, you know, like you have a guy that, you know, mm-hmm. that probably like that has no tie to, to French impressionist culture or, uh, or poetry in, of the 20th century. Um, you know, no like cultural ties from the beginning, but like through internet and through this exchange and 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 mix, you know, shows me this T-shirt that reminds me of me when I was like 14 years old, like bored in French literature class and bored at the museum looking at you know the references he's talking about, and and to me that's culture, you know, like this kind of mix of references and people appropriating concepts that were you know, uh, that were, that looked like old, but like are now, you know, new and, and shed into a new light, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the context there is really important. I think sometimes I get frustrated. So I'll walk into like a, a store on Melrose and they'll have just like screen printed some Latrec painting onto a shirt. And they're like, this is mine. I made this. And you're kind of like, no, no, you didn't. But I think what you're talking about, but like, you know, even the Duchamp stuff, like giving that urinal different concept, different context is, is an important part of that. And that's probably why I go to Paris and get all, you know, blown away. I'm like, look at all these cool kids dancing to hip hop. If I were to walk into a nightclub in LA and they're banging Travis Scott, I'd be like, so cliche. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's novelty. It's a, I agree with you. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's like let's let's um, focus a little bit on on one thing that you know that when I when I hear about you, you know, from other people, like a lot of people mention Lil Miquela, and so can you can you walk us through a little bit about the the genesis between Lil Miquela, your experience behind this? Because I think it's, I mean, I, I guess it's the first and maybe the only experiment which is like so successful at this scale, do you think, so maybe like explain us a little bit what Lil Miquela is and, and do you think this is the future of like what um, 
artists are going to be in, in, in the next, you know, few years and few decades, like digital artists that are built by a team? Yeah. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, Lil Michaela is a virtual celebrity. Um, you may have seen her on Instagram or, or Twitter um, or, you know, Super Rare, some NFT platforms that, that she's used in the past, um, built by our team. And, and we, we often hear Michaela described as a virtual influencer. We've like never seen it that way. Um, we were always building basically a modern Marvel or Disney, and we saw Michaela as a character in, in these stories that we were telling in spaces that traditionally weren't utilized for telling stories. And so much the same way, you know, you may have heard of like, you know, War of the Worlds telling a story on the radio and everyone freaking out and thinking aliens were actually attacking the world. Us telling stories on Instagram, I think, kind of broke people's brains and they were like, how are you going to use this to sell detox tea or like, you know, whatever people want to hawk on Instagram, a lip kit. And so that wasn't really the context. The, the idea was to try to tell stories. And what we've done, I think, successfully that others have missed is that, like, we focused on the story. There are, you know, tens of millions of fans now across all kinds of different platforms that are building their own fan wikis, that are creating timelines, that are, like, tying all of the seed to the story together. And I think that's what's given a lot of the media assets that we've created, like, the appropriate context for them to do well. Um, oftentimes you go to like a Michaela YouTube and you see one of her songs, people will know it's about her breakup with like Angel Boy or they'll, they'll, they'll understand where this fits into like the kind of longer term narrative. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons that we've had some success. Um, I, I, you know, one of the reasons we created Michaela that a character is because we wanted to try to create these vehicles for talented people. And we recognized that there was this marketplace of talent that without certain intangibles weren't getting the kind of the the kind of shine or the attention that they deserved and there was a world where potentially pulling together a a good writer uh, a good singer a good choreographer and this vehicle for their crafts could enable them to get far more exposure than they would have on their own and in parallel have that vehicle like a michaela act as a heat shield from you know, the terrors of being a public figure. And I think we've had some success with both. And I think that's going to be really attractive for a lot of creative people. I mean, I know so many artists that are like, man, I've done my fair share of touring. I never want to tour again. Like, wouldn't it be great if I could just write some songs, cut some songs, and then let something else kind of like play them out? I I think you'll you'll see that emerge, especially as it becomes more popular to to do concerts and other things and in the spatial computing or like metaverse era, whatever we're calling it. Um, and, and so I, I think there's going to be some of that. I also like would never discount what it means to see humans emote on stage. I think sometimes people like to create the Black Mirror narrative of like, is this going to replace? And I think you know, always augment, right? I think that the, the beauty of technology is augmenting human creativity and to enable you know ideas that couldn't otherwise exist. And so that that to me is where I see this stuff going. I think people are already exploring that. We had to kind of like walk to the door and catch some arrows and explain to people what this is and why it could be cool. And now people are riffing in, in really, really interesting ways. And I think you're going to see more and more of this stuff, especially as, as, the, as the world reopens and we get to reimagine what it means to be entertained in, in physical spaces. And, and what was the initial reaction of people, uh, you know, to this idea? Like, did people engage with it directly or, you know, like, is it something that like right now, I think it, it's like people are completely adhere to the idea of like having like avatar personalities you know like as you as you you know as you pointed out you know there's a lot of people who are super talented but don't want to be bothered with um, the consequence of 
you know, talent mm-hmm. being represented at a large scale, you know, like celebrities. And, and but at the very beginning, when you when you had this idea, like, what was the reception of people? I guess there, there were probably a few different buckets. Um, one of the things we kind of bet on early on was that like most people interact with famous people in the exact same way they interact with Michaela, like via the black rectangle we're all holding in our hands. Um, they're not they're not dapping Rihanna in the street, sadly. <laughs> And so, you know, one of the bets was there's a group of young people who are probably quite familiar with making friends in virtual spaces, whether it was Roblox or Minecraft. And the idea of making a virtual friend in a space like Instagram or Twitter would probably feel pretty familiar. Uh, So that was definitely one response. I I would say, like, the biggest group of fans are, like, young people who find this experience, like, totally native, um, also really honest. I think it probably feels pretty similar to, like, K-pop. Right where there's you know a, a big authenticity narrative and people are always like how can K-pop do well? It's not authentic, and I think it is actually very authentic. And that what they're providing you is like a really entertaining experience, and they're not promising to have written these songs or choreographed those dance moves or whatever it is, but but they are kind of over delivering on the entertainment value. And so we've tried to do that, and I think as a result, we found similar audiences. There probably is like a, a another bucket that like skews way older that just sees it as like transgressive and interesting, and that's tech people that's art people that's you know anyone from tracy ellis ross to like lena dunham and others that have been like big fans and and they're of course like an older subset of folks and i think you know we'd be remiss to mention like you know there are definitely people that found it like pretty compelling like black mirror clickbait fodder to kind of like pitch all of the worst possible scenarios and you know that stuff does well and i think they do have a ton of points and i think what we've tried to do is listen to everybody and recognize that we're not going to make something that's going to make everybody happy. But if we can make a lot of people happy and try to provide for the people that we care about, you know, especially like our, our, our young fans, we would have a pretty good outcome. And, and so far, so good. <laughs> that's great, man. And, and like right now, how are you feeling about like, how are you thinking about like the, the future of Miquela? Are you going to like continue expanding her, her audience, her community? Are, are there, specific things that you're you know that you're exploring for for her yeah so early on in the journey i don't even know like how well documented this is but early on in the journey um jj abrams reached out um his daughter was a fan of michaela and he was just really intrigued and i don't know when jj reaches out you respond and so i met with jj and his wife who's who runs the company and they both are incredible like truly fucking incredible and they they offered to let myself at the time and um you know our our employees that would emerge work out of their offices in santa monica and so i worked out of the bad robot offices in santa monica while jj was writing um i think the first star wars guy that he did Um, i can't remember this is like how fucking jumble my brain is but what was cool to me i mean a it was amazing to be like Hey, JJ, how do you think about this? And he would, you know, give us these thoughts. But what was fun is he would ask us a lot about like, hey, how do you think about emergent IP? And how do you think about stories being told in the future? But what I what I really thought about often was, you know, how regularly they would have to lean on Star Wars super fans because Disney didn't know the canon and, and the lore as well as the super fans. And it was always bizarre to me that like the fans were kind of seen as this other, like there were these silent entities, there were the creators, and then there were the fans. And I think often those two things live in symbiosis. I mean, if you're writing a network television show, you're effectively writing two ratings, you know, like fans are voting one way or another. And if they love the guest star, that guest star can become the main star. And if they hate the main star, he can get killed off. 
and vice versa. So there is this really kind of inefficient discourse back and forth. And this idea of this kind of noble lone genius in the corner crafting this work in isolation from others. But I think in reality, it, it, it becomes a conversation for most work. And what we're trying to do now is to kind of bring fans into the fold. We're, we're, we're decentralizing our org and all the processes. And we're, we're trying to build incentive mechanisms such that, and, and really coordination mechanisms that, that allow the community to come in and improve the work and participate in the work and be a part of the output. And so that's been the last six, eight months of my brain is thinking about how to build, you know, what I would call like media DAO primitives. I think of, I think of every single one of us as storytellers, right? Like we're all creating media on Twitter, on Instagram, on, on YouTube, whatever. And it's this nonlinear canon that we're creating and putting into the ether. And if there, if there were kind of like linear ways for, pe- for us to kind of like articulate what truly is our canon, which probably would work pretty well for a blockchain, and then allow fans to collect that canon there probably are ways for people to move from from just storyteller to professional storyteller. And I think that's the stuff that we want to prove out as kind of like an Uber creator, or Uber storyteller, because we're this org. And then hopefully those those tools and primitives trickle down into others and, you know, other big orgs, but really other kind of like uh, David orgs versus the Goliath orgs. That's so cool, man. And like when you say that, like, there's a question that comes to my mind is like, how do you reconcile the, um, your, your vision or your, your team's vision of what the narrative should be and what fans and, and community, super engaged community want to, want to see? Because sometimes it's not the same thing, you know, like just taking a random example, you know, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but like, you know, like in, uh, in season two, sorry, spoiler for people that have seen it, like they, they <laughs> feel like Rob Stark, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, when you watch it, you're like, yeah, Rob Stark is going to be the next, you know, the king of the seven kingdoms or whatever he's going to be like the the main character and he's killed like brutally in one episode and i i, I think that if you asked like core core you know core fans of the show at this moment whether they would like to kill rob stark or not i think the, the answer would overwhelmingly be don't kill don't kill him mm-hmm. so how do you reconcile like decentralized let's say governance on the narrative like from core fans and and your vision as a storyteller as a, as kind of like the um, yes, yeah the, the architect of all that Yes, I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of like creation by consensus, necessarily. I think ultimately what you want to do is identify talented people and empower them. And I think it's the same kind of thing you would do in a writer's room traditionally, you know, in Hollywood. But I think having the ability to mine from from like the hive and, and create really good works, um, especially when you can establish what I would call like longer term arcs or longer term goals and, and, and figure out ways to like not necessarily measure, but to uh, reconcile or kind of like, you know, create postmortems as to like what worked and what didn't and, and to kind of build structures such that like those that perform well can be rewarded. You can start to create these things. So all that is to say, I think it wouldn't be like direct democracy. You know, I don't think we would want like an American Idol style vote for, you know, is Michaela going to live or die? I think that's quite a pretty quick, a pretty, a pretty uh, efficient way to like run into a real disaster. Um, but I think what you can do is you can allow the community to raise their hand and say, I want to participate in something. And you can have qualified people like, you know, our creative team say, yeah, please feel free to submit your thinking on this stuff. And when those qualified people say, man, this is really good. I'd love to include your ideas in the basket of ideas that we're going to decide from then all of a sudden you've established this, this tone. And I think the idea is much the same way like different writers come on and off shows. 
you kind of like find ways to replace yourself and, and, and you, you incentivize people to create work so that you can identify and then like onboard those people who are better than yourself. I think you want to do that through every part of the stack, right? I think I talk about media that's kind of like create, you know, ideation, production, and then I would say like, you know, marketing and distribution. And so what we try to do is break those down depending on what type of media you make and then figure out how you know, people in different roles and get really good ones working on your behalf. And, and really, in my head, kind of create the future of work in that way, where if you're someone who's great at marketing and distribution, you should be able to work across 10 different media DAOs or 10 different media companies. And if you're great at you know 3D art, and maybe you can work across like a film DAO and a game DAO and something like you know Michaela's DAO. But that, that to me, I think what we want to create, and we're going to screw it up a ton of times. But I think without that, we kind of get trapped in this antiquated nine to five industrial idea yeah. of what work should be the new the new renaissance that's that's what we're living we oui, we oui, baby <laughs> that's dope man that's crazy um and so fast forward to uh, a couple years couple months after after michaela so fwb so what was the path from you know from from building narratives and 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 characters and a story around around you know like around michaela to to building what is, you know, I think today, like one is the most, uh, the most impactful, uh, you know, community. I mean, when I, when I think about FWB, I, I very, very often use this example, you know, when I speak with artists about the potential of like creating coin for their community and engaging with them, you know, something which is crazy to me, like about FWB is a, the cultural impact in web three. I mean, it's, it's, there's like, there's a sense of belonging and a sense of like, you know, like, if you're in Web3, you have to be like, it's kind of like you have to be in FWB, you know, if you, that's that's like a super strong community and a super strong kind of stamp of approval of how, quote unquote, legit you are in the Web3 space. I think that's something like the, the, the cultural impact of the cultural value in this world is, is, is very, very strong. But also, you know, like when you look at the sheer numbers, 5,000, like I watched the other day, like there's 5,000 holders of FWB coin. And I think the, the market cap of the coin is at like, what, $60 million, something like that. So it's a huge value for, for like, a, you know, by Web2 standards, or, or, um, a pretty small group of people. So I, I think it's something which is absolutely amazing. And can you walk us through a little bit like the genesis of FWB and, and how you how you kind of build the, con the concept to, to where it is now? Yeah, uh, it, it's wow. It's a, a lot to consider there. I mean. Really, FWB was born out of conversations that now seem a bit silly. Um, you know, kind of crypto winter time. I had spent a bunch of meals talking through, you know, what could be with people like Jesse Walden and Toby Shoren. And, you know, I've been talking to like Jacob from Zora a bunch. And you know, it was funny, like talking to Jacob from Zora about whether anyone would ever say like NFT. Or if like that was like too complicated. Now like you can't escape any conversation without NFT being said. Um, but uh, along the same lines, you know, we were talking a lot about what it would take to kind of migrate people from like Web 2.5, the Substacks, Patreons, OnlyFans of the world, to Web 3. And in my head, it, it seemed like we had all participated in social networks. And I think the great trick of like Google, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, was getting us to believe that like we weren't working for them, they were working for us. And this idea that all of this value had been locked up in these, these, these platforms meant that there was probably an opportunity to create like a really basic social network where anyone who had enough tokens could, could join and contribute 
And as they you know, contributed more and more, there'd be more demand to join that social network and that value would be reflected in the token. And that, that really was supposed to be like a, a weekend hacky project just to show what could be. And, um, you know, I think once I started inviting people, it, it, timing like anything else worked out nicely. There was like Beeple NFT sales and other things and people started asking questions and they started looking for answers. And one of the places they heard they could get answers from people who might not be your traditional kind of crypto bro was SWB. And we, get, we have a lot of great people joining. And I, while I wish I could take a lot of the credit, I mean, it's people like Derek on this call and Dexter and Alex and Patty and, you know, Ariel and all these people who've come in and contributed like crazy, Rayhan, others. And so I, 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 I kind of, I wish I could take a lot of credit for a while. It was like six degrees of Trevor in the chat, but by now it's, it's far, 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 far beyond that. And people are building incredible software like Mike Budge and building tooling. And so, you know, I, what I, anyone wants to do something similar, I would say to just try to, again, find like a, a novel idea that you want to be able to explore in a really simple way, ship it and try to add value, like try to make it a place people would want to be. And that, that compounds. And is the FWB now something that you expected from the beginning? Is that like, was it the course that you, uh, the trajectory that you, that you had in mind or was it? I like- mean, I'm a totally like toxic, unhealthy person who has like ambitions and grandeur and all things that I do. Uh, <laughs> and so like, yeah, like absolutely anything I do, I'm like, this is going to be huge. And oftentimes I fail miserably, but sometimes we get it right. And I think F3B has a lot of room to run. It's kind of just getting started. And, and so I think, you know, I'm excited to see what it looks like in, in, in three or four years when we're all hanging out in FWB City, the, the meat space version. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the, the transition to like to physical from URL to IRL. You know, it's, I think it's something which is, which is pretty powerful. That's super cool, man. So, so what's next, man? What's next for you? So you're 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 working with Dapper now. Like, what are the big ideas that you want to explore, like in the next few months, next few years? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about our multi-chain future, and I think Flow is a really compelling product offering that's just starting. I think to catch up with some of the other narratives of the layer ones, uh, and so it's going to be a really fun year in the Flowverse. Um, for those of you who want to check out uh, what's happening in, in Flowland and tune in. Beyond that, um, I'm, I'm trying to like take care of myself and others around me and try to like maintain the energy I'm, I'm going to need to see a lot of this stuff through. And one of the things we probably don't talk about enough is like the sheer amount of new information that's being thrown at you daily in, in Web3. And I think you got to kind of brace for the marathon or the, the, the fire hose that is all these new ideas, new concepts, and executions. And so I'm just trying to take it a day at a time, you know, come up with some cool stuff be good to the employees and people around me and try to make some meaningful stuff. That's dope, man. And you're playing basket as well, basketball. Oh, yeah, every day. I feel like I, I, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> uh, it's kind of become this thing. But yeah, I, I have, I play basketball every day. I'm playing a lot of basketball. Um, I'm eating really healthy. I have a pretty boring existence. You can ask Maya or anyone else who tries to hang out with me and I'm just like, I don't know, I'm going to bed at 10 and waking up to go hoop and, <laughs> And practice Spanish. Actually, I'm, I'm so I'm learning Spanish now. Next will be French. That probably won't be to like May. I got a few more months ahead of me before I'm really dialed in my, in my Spanish. Uh, next one. Next time we speak French. Wait, wait. Wait, wait. You need to know. You need to know putain. That's the word which is the used the most in French, which means like fuck. You know, everybody. Yeah. Like every French guy, every French person says putain at every sentence. So, you need it's to facts. Okay, that's good. Look at that. 
that's why it's the last learning here. All that learning I was talking about, that's the kind of stuff you're getting on skinny dipping, baby. <laughs> that's dope, man. Cool. Well, I think we're like, you know, we're, we're closing to the, to the end. Any, any other thing that you, that you'd like to mention or, or, or talk about before we wrap up? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this space can be confusing and difficult. And if anyone listening wants help or wants me to answer any questions, it can be kind of difficult to get me in in a synchronous way. But like, send me a DM. They're open. I'd love to help connect dots if I can. Um, yeah. And hydrate. Get a glass of water. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Stay hydrated. Dope. Yeah. Cool. Trevor, thank you very much. And thank you for your help throughout the story of pools. I think you were the first check in the in the company. Let's go. Wow. That's exciting. First check in. Also, if you're building something cool, let me know so I can be the first check in. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's dope. Well, thank you very much, Trevor, for yeah. taking the time. Uh, see you soon. And, and thank you, guys. Let me know if you need the Rex for Paris. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would love to. I'll pick your brain. Cool. Thank you, sir. Sounds good. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, everyone. Au revoir.